0: Last week, what did we learn? Well, we put a lot of treasures in our treasure chest. We found out that we have been united with other believers. We're all one big happy family. Amen. We received an inheritance as God's children. And, of course, that's eternal life with Jesus in heaven. That's pretty good. Uh, we found out that everything will work out according to his plans, not ours, but God's plans. Uh, We found out that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we had that stamp saying, we belong to Jesus, and nobody else can have us, and nobody can take us. We belong to God. And we found out that each one of us has a purpose, and we all have a each one of us have a purpose that God has ordained since the beginning of time. And this week, we have a wonderful prayer that, that the Apostle Paul is going to pray for the Ephesians. And it's called Praying for Spiritual Wisdom. And let's pray before we get into God's Word, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing scripture where one of your, your precious servants praise for the people in Ephesus and what a prayer it is Lord and we all need someone to pray for us and so I would like to just pray for each one of the ladies that are here tonight Lord that they would be able to have this spiritual wisdom that you promised to each one of us that they would truly understand exactly what you want to do for them through them In their own lives. And so be with us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. And verse 15 says, Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. So right away we find out that the people of Ephesus is known for their love of people in general. Not only their love for God, but just everybody around them. They loved God so much that it just kind of overflowed into the people around them. But what does this love actually look like or should look like. Well, 1 John has a lot to say about that. I know a lot of people think that 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, but I think 1 John is actually the love book. It has so much in there about how much God loves us and how we should love also. But 1 John 4, 16 tells us, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. That is his main attribute. And all of us who live in love live in God and God lives in them. God lives in us. He gives us the ability to live to love. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I love that. In other words, practice makes perfect. And so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. What did Jesus do? He loved us, didn't he? He loved everybody. He was our example. So let's break this down a bit. John is speaking to believers about how God has shown his great love for us. And this is something we should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us immensely. How do we know this? Well, he proved it, didn't he? When he died on the cross for us, he showed us just how much he loved us because he wanted us to be with him for eternity. Eternity. That's amazing. So all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. I love that about this verse. So are we talking about just any old kind of love? Well, no. In the original language... You may have heard this before. There are three different words for love. Uh, the first one is called eros, and that refers to the physical or sexual love. And it is commonly used in the Greek-speaking world of the New Testament. And the concept of physical love expressed in the context of marriage is found and affirmed throughout the, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And then we have philos which means warm affection or friendship. Uh, It's commonly used when referenced about uh, family relationships, uh, really close friends, your best friends. Husband and wife could be that, mother, father, son, daughter. And then we have the agape love, which is sacrificial, unconditional love of God. That perfect love. And so in the New Testament, agape is considered the, or is the highest form of love. And it used, agape is, word, is used to describe God's love in like John three sixteen where it says, For God so loved, you could actually put agape in there. God so agape the world, that perfect sacrificial love, that he gave his only begotten son. See, it fits in there perfectly, doesn't it? And we are also commanded to love God in this way, to agape God. And in turn, we're supposed to agape our neighbors as ourselves. And so this is a very, very powerful word, and that is what is being used here. The Ephesians agaped not only God, but their fellow uh, brothers and sisters, and the people around them. So going back to our verse, in verse 15, it says, ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your agape for God's people everywhere. So the Ephesians had great love, and we also are called to love others in this manner. And we learned previously that this was a very difficult place to minister for the Ephesians because it was full of cults and they had a lot of the Eros kind of love going around and it was used improperly, you know, because of all their cults and everything. So this had to have been very difficult, but they remained strong. They loved the people. Then verse 16 goes on to say, I have not stopped thanking God for you. So, Paul was so thankful. He was like, he was kind of like their, their dad. You know, he had taught the people in Ephesus, he had uh, mentored many of them, he had probably started that church, and he sees them growing in their love for God and love for others. And so he's thanking God. Thank you, thank you for, for letting these people uh, or having these people remain faithful. To you. And no doubt God was doing a wonderful work through them. So they were an extreme encouragement for Paul, is another way of saying this. So Paul is doing his part by praying for the people of Ephesus. Verse 16 goes on to say, I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. So, the first thing he prays for, spiritual wisdom and insight. So, let's break this down a little bit. He says, pray constantly. First Thessalonians 5.17, you're going to learn a really tough verse. Listen to this. Never stop praying. Come on, we can say that. We're going to learn a verse today. Never stop praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Now, does that mean that you always have to close your eyes and bow your head, although that is very good, especially if you have a little bit of attention deficit like I do, where I get distracted so easily, bowing my head and closing my eyes is very good for me to do. But that's not always practical, is it? If I'm driving down the 110 on the way home and I feel like the Lord is leading me to pray for someone or something, I don't close my eyes and bow my head. That would be silly, right? So you can pray to God anytime you want. He's your best friend. We talked about this last week. Don't worry about how you're praying. God just wants to hear from his kids. It's a very special thing. It's a great privilege. So Paul said this, he wrote it and he practiced it. Pray always. Next, our verse tells us what Paul prayed for. And the first thing was spiritual wisdom. Now we learned a couple weeks ago that if any of us lacks wisdom, it tells us in James, all we have to do is ask and God will give it to us liberally. Secondly, Paul prayed for insight Other translations may say a revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. What does this mean? Well, first we must know that any spiritual wisdom or insight must come from the Holy Spirit. You see, with our natural minds, we cannot understand the things of God. We have to have the Holy Spirit teaching us, guiding us, enlightening enlightening us. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 12 through 12 says, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, our minds can't conceive of the greatness of God unless unless we have the Holy Spirit. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit, for his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets I love that that means we get to know so much more about God than we ever thought possible no one no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit and we have received God's spirit not the world's spirit So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. I know that's a mouthful. But you see, the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us through his word and then gives us the wisdom to understand exactly what's being said and how to apply it to our lives. That's how it works. He also gives us power or the enablement to practice those things, to practice those truths. So Paul is saying, that he prays earnestly that the Ephesians would have love, wisdom, and insight in their Christian walks. But wait, there's even more that he prays for. Verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his people, excuse me, his holy people who are his rich and glorious Inheritance. So I love this phrase flooded with light. The other day, I was, um, my little puppy, she still gets a little squirrely and she had to go potty in the middle of the night. So I, our bedroom is upstairs and I started to go down the stairs and I didn't want to turn the light on because it would wake up Jeff. So I left the lights off. Oh, I tell you what, I stumbled on the stairs. They were, I didn't know they were there. Yet, you know, I'm just, and of course, you know, Nala is all excited. She wants to go outside, and so she's, she's running up and down the stairs, you know, guiding me down the stairs. Uh, she's, a, she's an Australian shepherd, so she's a herding dog. I get herded all over my house. You know, And what they, she does is she nips my ankles. And so this can be very dangerous when you're going down the stairs in the dark. And so I was thinking, wow, isn't that what we do sometimes in our Christian walk? We're like stumbling around in the dark because we don't want to turn the light on. We need the light. We need the Holy Spirit. So in this case, the prayer is that they would see and understand that their hope is not in something earthly but heavenly that is what he's hoping they will see that they'll be flooded with this truth flooded with that light and it is the amazing hope we have in the resurrection that is the promise that is given to us and this hope is given to all of God's children and it tells us why at the end of this verse he says because we are Jesus's inheritance you don't give an inheritance that is worthless to your kids, do you? You give precious things to your kids. Precious things. Family heirlooms. Jewelry. You know, those kind of things. Think of yourself as the inheritance that God is giving to his son Jesus. Okay, you died for them. I'm going to give you the inheritance of All these precious saints that have put their hope and trust in you. Isn't that amazing? Wow, I'm an inheritance. I am precious to God. Paul goes on with his prayer. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. So why is it so important to know exactly how great our Lord is? Well, otherwise, we'd be a little timid in our faith. We would be afraid of failure, wouldn't we? When a believer truly understands the greatness of God, it is then that we understand that it's not about us. We also understand how weak we truly are. And it's never about our ability or how we look or how smart we are. It's always about God's greatness, his ability, his intelligence, his power working through us. So you never have to worry about, I just can't do that, Lord. Well, yeah, you're right. You can't do it, but God can. He does that through us. I can stand up here because God is doing it through me, in and of myself. I cannot do what I'm doing as we speak, as I speak. But with that kind of power behind us, nothing can hold us back. So we need to put our faith, put our trust in him and be willing to be used by him. And pray for understanding of exactly how great our God is. He will give it to you. He wants you to know him. And our next verse tells us exactly how powerful our God is. Verse 19 goes on to say, This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything or anyone other than God being the most powerful thing in the universe, in the heavens. There isn't anything more powerful. The power of the resurrection is our basis for hope. He can do anything. He can recreate anything. He created us from dirt. Think about that one. Jesus said in John 11 when talking to Martha right after she had lost her brother Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever, I love that, never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Nini? Put your name there. Do you believe this? That is where our hope is found. And Paul is praying that the Ephesians would trust in the power of God even over death. Back then, the church was being persecuted. Can you imagine what great hope they had in knowing that even if they die in this world, even if the worst possible thing happened and you were killed for your faith, you would be raised again. That is the hope that the Ephesians had. That is the hope that we have today. Then verse 21 goes on to say, now he, speaking of Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. That's pretty clear. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So this is like past, present, future. He will always be the most powerful being ever. And yet, sometimes we live as though some things are impossible to fix, impossible to cure, impossible to save. There's a story about a rich man that goes up to Jesus and he says, What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, Well, believe, you know, do all the commandments and, and, he gives him this rundown, and he goes, I do all of that. And then Jesus says, sell everything you have and give your money to the poor. And the guy went away, very sad, because, you know, that was asking too much. You see, his God truly was his money. And in Matthew 19, the disciples come up to him, and they say, you know, questioning him. And it says, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now I want to stop right there when we're not talking about the little two-inch thing, okay? We're talking about the needle was a very small entrance into Jerusalem. That's so that it was the only opening that was, available after hours, (laughs) kind of look at it that way. There was the big gate and they had uh, animals and livestock could go in and out this big gate, but as soon as it got dark, they would close the gate. And so what he's talking about here is that needle, it's very difficult for a camel to get through that. So that would keep like marauders from coming in if they had to, the poor camel had to get actually down on its knees and almost crawl through this little hole. So that's what he's talking about. We're not talking about the little sewing needle, okay? So I have a needle then for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they ask. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, It is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. God can do anything. He can save the rich man. He can save the poor man, the drug addict, the alcoholic, the prostitute, anyone. He can save them all. He is that powerful. So how can he do this? Verse 22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Wow and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. So, in other words, Jesus is the boss. He is the boss of everything. He has the authority, and it is for the sake of the church. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ. We are the church as people then verse 23 goes on to say, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So Christ simply means chosen one. He is the one and only Messiah. He is head of the church, and it is because of him that it is made complete. The church is made complete because of him. I look, I think of Jesus as like a a human body, okay? We've got the brain. Jesus is the brains of the operation. We are all the many parts. That's why he has created each one of us with a different purpose, just like a regular human body. We all have a purpose. We can't all be hands. We'd look pretty weird. We can't all be feet. We'd look really, really weird. But you see, we all have a purpose within the body of Christ, so, how can we apply these scriptures to our own lives? Well, first, obviously, we want to pray always, as Paul is praying. But why would Paul feel the need to pray so earnestly for the people of Ephesus? After all, verse first, excuse me, verse 15 says, "Ever since I first heard of your strong faith." and the Lord, and your love for God's people everywhere. I mean, what more would they need? Well, Revelations chapter 2 gives us a little insight on what happened to the church of Ephesus. You can turn there if you would like. I'm going to read the uh, uh, ESV, excuse me, yes, ESV version, and it says here, Revelations 2, 1 through 7, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him, speaking of Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's pretty big. Seven stars in his right hand. Think of the st- a star as the sun. So he's got seven suns in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So we're talking about Jesus here in heaven. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So what does this tell us about the church of Ephesus? He says we have patient endurance. We can't, or they couldn't tolerate anybody who is evil. These are all really good things, right? He says, and I know you are enduring patiently. So they're very patient and bearing up for my sake. And you have not grown weary. Again, really good things. But, Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Verse 5 then goes on to say, it's kind of sad, isn't it? It says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That was a cult. They were very evil. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, this is important. Listen up. What the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So, what happened? They didn't heed the Holy Spirit's guidance in this area. The Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, it is also love. And so they were not heeding the love that the Holy Spirit wanted to give these people. Paul had prayed for them, asking God to give them spiritual wisdom and insight so that they might grow in their knowledge of God. But it appears as though they resisted this. Something happened. Perhaps they did exactly what we see in many churches today. What did they do wrong? After all, they were doing so good. I mean, they were looking out after the false teachers. They weren't allowing them in their churches. They were working hard. They were patient. They didn't lose heart. What went wrong? They lost the love that they had. Love for Jesus, love for the people. That is where they went wrong, and it's so sad. And I think a lot of churches grow south on that fact alone. Also, if the church today was being written in this manner, I think it would go something like this. We'll just pick on the United States. So, the Church of America. You taught the Word of God. Oh, yeah, check, we did that good. You have a great worship team. Check, that's really good. You did a lot of community projects, check. That's really good. Went on missions trips, which is really good. But you don't love me like you did, which is bad. And because you don't love me, you don't love my people. We have to love God first. Then that love is poured into us and we overflow onto others. See, that's the important lesson to learn here. Nothing should ever take the place of our love for Jesus and love for others. Why? Because God is love. And as we saw at the beginning of our study, if we don't have love, we don't have God. So heed Paul's prayer for us to have spiritual wisdom and insight so that we will be able to see if we should be heading into the dark going down those stairs with a little squirrely dog running around your feet, tripping you up. I mean, don't get me wrong, she's really, really cute, but you can imagine, I mean, spiritually speaking, how that could really trip people up. Years ago, uh, I worked with a lady and she was a great worker, great volunteer, But the Lord had revealed to me that her hard work was truly a substitute for her lack of a strong relationship to the Lord. You see, she had stumbled along the way. She became a drug addict. But nobody around her knew that she had this problem. And so she thought if she worked really, really hard, not only would people not notice that she has this problem, but also... That God, you know, she would be worthy of God's love. See, she had it all mixed up, didn't she? You can't work for your salvation. It is for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. But see, she wanted to prove that she was worthy of her salvation because she was living this sinful lifestyle. She didn't trust Jesus the way she should have. She didn't have that spiritual wisdom. She was going in the wrong way. She was stumbling around in the dark. See, works can never replace a genuine love for the Savior. And Jesus, because he loves us so much, will always expose our sin because he wants to see us restored. He wants to see us healed. So... What can we add to our treasure chest today? Well, there was a lot, but one big thing is the capacity to love like Jesus. The same spirit that is in Jesus is also in each one of us. We have the Holy Spirit in us, which is love, so we are capable of that. All we have to do is surrender. He also gives us spiritual wisdom and insight which is very important in order to navigate in this life, isn't it? We have to have light flooding our way so that we don't get tripped up. Also, knowledge of God in his greatness. And our faith can be so strong when we do that. He's the ultimate leader. We don't have to do this on our own, and we can trust all of God's plans And lastly, but certainly not the least, we have been made full and complete by by Jesus. What does this mean? Well, if we surrender our lives to him, he fills us to capacity, we will be overflowing. Overflowing. We won't have to worry about becoming like the church in Ephesus because we'll be overflowing with his spirit, his wisdom, his understanding, his love. So don't lose your first love, just like it says in First Corinthians 13, it says love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, whether there are tongues, they will cease, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away, because love conquers all. There's a story that was written, and it says that during World War II, Hitler commanded that all religious groups in Germany to unite so that he could control them. Among the Brethren Assemblies, half complied, half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. Those who did not faced harsh harsh persecution. In almost every family of those who resisted, someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, Feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups and there was much division. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat. For several days, each person spent time in prayer examining his own heart in the light of Christ's commands. Then they came together. Francis Schaeffer, who told of the incidents, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? We were just one, he replied. As they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, do you hear that? Yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. You see, when love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. So love is always the answer because love never fails. So if you have a difficult person in your life, love on them, a prodigal child, love on them, a failing marriage, love on him, a mean boss, mean co-workers. Love on them. Love is always the answer. All we have to do is ask God for more love and he will be pouring it in. But you have to be sincere. You have to truly want to be loving. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask for more love. Love is so important. So I pray that each one of the ladies here doesn't matter what they're going through. Would you give them more love for their situation? Father, we just thank you that you do care for us and that you want us to be more loving. You want us to be more wise, have more understanding. So we also pray that prayer for ourselves, Lord, that we would become stronger, more devoted to you, Lord. So we love you. We thank you, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.